Whatever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the suns get set to shine. Mary, the guy heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got it. He got it. Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne! Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time. He got it. Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the NBA and the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCauley and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, it feels a little odd to be saying hello to you given that we just finished recording part one of our crossover episode with the Locked On guys, but hello. Hello, Max, and, and hello to our guests that I'm sure you're going to introduce in a second, but we're back for part two here. Uh, we tend to go about one and a half hours at the moment on our podcast, but I guess the two pods together here will be our usual one and a half hours, Max, and uh, I'm ready to jump straight back in. If you are listening to this, you can jump back to the Locked On Suns account to listen to part one first, but they don't really need to be listened in any order. If you're listening now, you can go and do that later as well if you want, Max. They go both ways, but I'll go ahead and introduce these two special guests. I'll start with Suns reporter and brand new NBA writer for Forbes. He also writes for Brightside, Fansided, and various other things. Quite a few things. He's very prolific. His name is Brennan Clean. Brennan, thanks so much for joining us, and congrats on the Forbes thing. Thanks, Max. Yeah, no, uh, prolific is an overstatement, but I appreciate it, and I'm excited. <laughs> we have been trying to line up me being on this show for mm, yes. a long time, so I'm glad that we I'm glad that we made it happen as part of this crossover. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm ready to dive in. I'm glad too. And the next guest has actually been on before. He's also a Suns reporter, and he's the brand new Suns beat reporter for Forbes. He also reports for Bright Side, and apparently, I learned by looking at his bio today. Does Locked On Colts, Evan Sidery, how long have you been doing Locked On Colts? Yeah, yeah, it's a little little weird. I'm kind of just taking a break right now because the NFL side of things is very dead, but I'm a Colts fan. I grew up a Colts fan from Indiana, as you guys know, if you listen to Locked On Suns. Really, on that side of things, that's another way to really just follow the team and like do it in a different angle. So that's kind of just a fun way of going about, but really 90% of the time I'm focusing on the Suns. David, the Colts are an American football team. <laughs> I am aware. I am aware, Max. <laughs> but thank you. All right. Well, we won't be talking about the Colts here. We're going to talk about the Suns. Like I said, this is part two of a two-part crossover podcast. Like David said, go ahead and listen to part one. I think it was good. I hope it was good. Uh, on this episode, we're going to cover the Kelly Oubre signing in depth. We're going to get into Summer League a little bit. Honestly, I just want to talk about Jalen McHugh, but we'll get on the rest of it too. David will do Did You Know, as usual. And then I'm going to host a special extended version of 7 Seconds or Less, kind of like 7 Minutes or Less, where we'll do some fun hypothetical questions to get these guys' brains working. But uh, let's start off with Oubre. David, can you give us the details of the deal for Oubre and then throw it to either Brendan or Evan, your choice on their thoughts on the deal? Yeah, we touched on this a little bit in part one, but we'll go a little bit more in in depth here, Max. So it was two years, 30 million, which as we all mentioned, was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, Gambo reported the declining nature of that deal, which uh, I'll give myself a pat on the back of not quite getting the years right, Max, but always said it would be a smart move for the Suns to decline this one. So it starts at 15625000 and then in the second year goes down to 14375 But Brendan, we'll throw to you first, I guess. That declining nature, obviously not a huge difference between the salaries there but it's really the the two-year nature of this and I guess my question for you with Kelly in particular is what does this do for the Suns in terms of not being too scared about Kelly taking the money and and regressing we're kind of going to see more development from him here I think what do you think I was worried uh when things started to pause a little bit how long it was taking and all that I, I was a little bit worried that there would be a bump in the road and maybe lead to some some hard feelings. I think uh, maybe that's informed by the, this franchise's past history, but seeing how it ended up uh, benefiting the Suns in the way that it de-escalates, but also I think it's fair to say giving Kelly a lot more money this first year than uh, maybe the market 
dictated he he should have gotten so i think in that way it certainly is beneficial for both parties and i think Ubre getting the two years it never felt realistic to me he was going to take that qualifying offer and being able to make a lot of money while also proving yourself is kind of a win-win for him as well uh and so i expect him to really try to to pick things up where he left off last year i think that injury really frustrated him I, i was thinking back to the press conference he gave at the end of the season when he signed and just how uh, passionate he was and how frustrated he was that he had to sit out the, the last few games. So all of those things I think are, are going to lead to the hard feelings not being there at all. And I think that's, you know, all things considered is, is a great outcome because it could have gotten ugly. Yeah. The two years is an interesting point, I think, because, you know, particularly with the cap hole being 9.6, I'm not sure the Suns could have got this kind of a deal for another player at Kelly's value or potentially better for the Suns at 9.6 and it's a good you know point to raise here Max because you know even though Kelly's getting 15.6 in that first year they essentially couldn't pay any other player 15.6 to come and play Kelly's role here so that's a really interesting thing you know I kind of noted that it's essentially a one-year 14.3 million dollar deal when you look at the way that the cap structures but Evan you didn't really get a chance on the last pod to give your extended thoughts on on Kelly coming back to the sun so what was your instant reaction and uh, I guess a few days on as well what's what's your thoughts on Kelly yeah I think my instant reaction was very surprised that it not being a four-year deal because I envision at least that one side would blink one way or the other whether it be the Suns they would pay Ubre a little bit more than we, what he got around 15 16 million per year or it'd be Ubre's camp going down to 12 to 13 million dollars per year and just signing a long-term contract again I guarantee money but really them doing this compromise going two years and $30 million, like you mentioned, David, it's in de-escalating contract there. It starts 15.7 in year one, which I find it, it's a really good deal for both sides there because Uber is going to be able to hit the market. He's going to be the youngest understood free agent on, on the open market at a position of need that every NBA team wants in a 3 and D wing. But I think from Uber's side of things, it's an interesting bet on himself because if he can be the guy we saw for 12 games last year, starting averaging 17 points per game of two steals and a block, mm-hmm. I think he's an absolutely a guy. If he improves his, the perimeter side of his game, I think if he can become a better three-point shooter, and I think interestingly enough with Rubio aboard and I think with more usage for Aiden with Booker and Bridges, I think if, if Ubre takes less shots, so to say, less of those bad shots we saw last year, I think he's going to be an awfully more efficient player too. Yeah, that's a great point you made, Evan. I think uh, people look at his three-point percentage and think he's not a very good shooter. I really think he's a better shooter than his percentage indicates. I think he takes a lot of bad shots. Yeah. Uh, Cole Zwicker was on this podcast and made the point that Kelly's decision-making isn't the best, and I, I think that's right, and I think it's uh, indicative of why his percentages are so low because he takes shots that don't make a lot of sense. Of course, sometimes he makes those shots. I'm thinking of one in particular against the Warriors he made when we beat them on the road. He made <laughs> it like an absurd pull-up three. It was like, it's just awesome, but uh, you know, maybe not the shot you should be taking, Kelly. But uh, I want to focus on, because I think you guys are, are right, it's interesting they've reached this particular consensus on a deal, and it's that I think most of the time when you have players who are this far apart, they would they would have a hard time coming uh, to, to terms with the team. I think Uber really wants to be here. I, I buy all that. I know a lot of it's probably as the agent speak and, and leverage play. But, you know, we also got that, I think, Brendan, was it you or Evan, one of you two who reported or, or showed the uh, the courtside fan who had Uber come up to and say, I want to I wanna be here, tell James Jones that or whatever? I think it might have been one of you two guys. Yeah, I tweeted that out. It was like one of his first games in Phoenix, and he said that. Yeah, and that's that's the kind of thing you don't really script, right? So I do think Kelly Uber really wanted to be here, and I think that's why this it was they were able to come to an agreement that was kind of an odd agreement because both sides were just so motivated to make this a long-term thing that they were able to, you know, figure out wherever the ground could possibly be, that's where they'll go. And I think it's really good for the Suns because I think uh, Oubre had a lot to prove still. He's a good player, but probably not a $15 million a year player. But because, like David said, it's, it's really kind of more like a one-year 14 uh, when, when you break down that this year didn't really matter cap space-wise, uh, it gives us a chance to evaluate him. And then in the 2021 free agency, which is going to be an excellent free agency, uh, we'll have the chance to either you know move on from him and, and, and try to upgrade or, or maybe even keep him on the books. His cap hold is going to be pretty large, 21-ish million, but not you know preventative of a, another big deal uh, and possibly even a max deal if they can find a taker for Rubio and, and some other things. So I, I think it's great. I think they gave themselves a lot of flexibility and options going forward. Uh, David, do you agree with that? I do, and I'd like to throw a question back to you here, Max, and then we can get Evan and Brennan's thoughts on it as well. But you mentioned the cap hold there. 21 million dollars they're not always a great 
gauge, but I get the impression that in, in this scenario, 21 million is probably a good gauge of what Ubre will be looking for when he comes out of this two-year deal. So what does he have to do? What does Kelly, the player, have to do? We're talking a lot here about, and we have talked a lot about what Kelly needs to do for the Suns, but you know, what does he need to improve on in the next two years to get a similar or bigger number around that $21 million for, I guess, a longer-term deal that'll take him through his entire prime, basically a four- or five-year deal if it's with the Suns. I'll put aside the possibility that he just becomes a star player or a, you know a star-adjacent player, which I do think is a possibility, but that would just make it pretty obvious. Yep. And I'll focus more on what he need, would need to do as a role-ish kind of player. Mm-hmm. And I think it's what we kind of got into earlier. Uh, if your decision-making isn't great, you kind of need to you know ramp back the amount of decisions you're making. So I think he needs to... Uh, try less to create and be a little more of a spot-up three-point shooter, uh, focus more on his defense. He has some lapses on that end sometimes. Yeah. Pretty good block steal guy, uh, but you know defensive awareness lapses at times. So if he could really seal that up and become a, you know more of a traditional 3 and D wing guy, I think that's, that's really what I want to see from him. What about you, Evan? I think for me, it's just pretty much clean up his shot selection because we saw a lot last year like when he's on he's just in a system where he can just focus on the small little things cutting to the basket spotting up from the corners doing all these little things that he if he's in a primary role I don't like him doing but if he's in a secondary third or fourth option role I do enjoy what Ubre does on both sides of the court and I think that's a valuable asset on this team really if you think just about the energy it provides you can provide the scoring as well but really with his biggest improvement, I think it's his pull-up ability. If he can be a dynamic pull-up shooter, I think according to stats.nba, after December 19th, it was the first game that Ubre joined. He shot 34% on pull-ups last year. If he can get near like 36-37 and add in a good catch and shoot him out there too and smarten up his offensive game, I think he's going to really actually improve a lot on this two-year contract. Brendan, how about you? Yeah, I think the, the, the way that I would put it is I want him to – have the same impact and provide the same value to the team that he had at the end of last season without obviously he's not going to have I think the same amount of opportunities and I mean that on either end offensively he ran a lot of pick and roll late in the season for the Suns I don't envision him doing that as much with Ricky Rubio there and the the whole roster just healthier Mm -hmm. Uh, and then defensively I mean that as well where I want him to be a plus defender you know I want the on-off data to show that he's good and I you know think the the starting defense isn't maybe not going to be great but as a team maybe they can make some strides without the steals and blocks for Ubre because I think a lot of that is a product of the gambling and some of the bad decision making sometimes because that those two categories really exploded for him he he wasn't that type of player in Washington and I think part of it was playing the four for the blocks but uh, I'd like him. To, I'd like to see him impact the defense without racking up those stats. Even though that is a way we know players can provide value. I think for Kelly, it'll be a matter of, you know, rotating intelligently and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe just covering for his teammate instead of sprinting down the court to try to block a shot. So I'm interested to see how he settles down back into more of a you know, second or third option rather than really some nights he was a primary option for the Suns last season. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement here, really, Max. I think the only danger here with this deal is if Kelly sees himself more as a star in this league and spends the next two years trying to prove that. But we all seem to agree that uh, his best route to getting paid again, and particularly by the Suns, is to really lean into that 3 and D role on the team and, and become a third, fourth option for the Suns. And, you know, we've seen if you if you hit the market at the right time, which 21-22 will definitely be with lots of teams having money and it being a big free agency market, I think, you know, you can get paid $20 million a year over four years if that's your role uh, and you're doing it really well, Max. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. The danger is there that he does fancy himself a star, even if he isn't one. But mm-hmm. thankfully, the Suns kind of cut that out by having it two years. So it's not a four-year danger. It's a two-year danger. Exactly. Uh, unless we got anything else on Ubre, maybe we should move on to Summer League. Summer Lequeux. Summer Lequeux. <laughs> All right. Let, let's save Jalen Lequeux, though, because I do want to focus most of this on him. But I want to start. We'll start with Brendan and go to Evan. Brennan, you were at Summer League. What stood out to you other than Jalen EQ uh, following this less-than-star-studded team? I, 
To be honest with you, you know, some of the guys had individual hot nights and, you know, getting to just see players that I had no idea who they were play well. I mean, that's kind of fun. Like the anonymous <laughs> guys that just like Ravante Rice, that's not a human being I had heard of before this week. And now <laughs> I got to see him make some threes. So like that, that part of it is just a summer league thing that's kind of fun. But to be honest, it was uh, it was the coaching staff getting anything out of this roster that really impressed me. I asked Monty Williams about it at the Ricky Rubio press conference, and he was pretty. He, he his his response interested me at least. And he said that you know Willie Green, he really gave him the reins, and he told him to do things that Monty hadn't even suggested, and to really run things, and to and that he treated it as an educational experience. Monty did himself so I was impressed with I mean maybe I'm just giving the coaches credit because I don't know where else to put the credit but we all looked at that summer league roster and had heard of maybe four guys right so the fact that they were able to be competitive every single night and win a few games is is a a testament I think to the coaching staff so that that impressed me and I it's something I've been watching because this staff is obviously new for another season we're getting an entirely new coaching staff here in Phoenix so Mm. it was a good first impression uh on my part of them how about you Evan I think for me just if it's not gonna be Jalen LeCue I think it's the future 2025 NBA MVP at this rate (laughs) he's it's really Elia Kobo and Ray Spalding unlike Josh Jackson and Dragon Bender last year I think those two players actually showed really in your second summer league you should be able to be above the competition so to say and yep. during this this run Okobo showed that and also Ray Spalding showed that and I think David you pointed this out a really good point on Twitter today during the China game that Okobo didn't have as many assists as he should have but he really could have had easily seven to eight assists within like a 15 to 20 minute period he was really controlling the floor today Ray Spalding looks like an actual rolling PNR big man who's going to stick somewhere in the league if it's not the Suns going to be somewhere on a two-way contract yep. so I think two guys especially have showed that whether it's not in Phoenix or not they've showed that they are at least NBA players. Yeah, I highly doubt we're going to get uh, potential assist stats out of Summer League, Max, but if (laughs) someone was tracking it, I think Ali would have had double digits today because his teammates missed some wide-open shots that he set them up for. And Ali's copped a fair bit of flack, at least from what I've seen during watching games for his Summer League play. He's shot 42% across the four games, but as Evans touched on there, I think he showed good point guard skills and one thing that I really thought of when I was watching if if we're all aware that Ali is potentially going to get traded from this team and not be on the opening day roster you can sure as hell bet that Ali Okobo is aware of it and summer league is the type of place where you could go out and play for yourself and try and show out to teams try and get someone to notice you uh, and just take over and be selfish and Ali didn't do that I think Uh, Willie Green was quoted as saying they really wanted him to go out and just show that he could run the team. And that's what he did. You know, he took open shots when they were there, but he really actually impressed me from a standpoint of running the team. And we've noted with Ali in the past, being a point guard is actually quite new to him. So if anything, watching him, I'm a little bit more positive than when I started that he may actually stick to this team, Max. And Spalding, Evan kind of touched on everything there. He looks a little bit bigger, but he is still fairly weak uh, in terms of being able to punish guys in the post and stuff. But as a lob threat in the pick and roll, he's looked really good. And uh, he's uses his length really well to block shots as well. So uh, definitely still an opening there for him as the 15th man on this roster, Max. All right. Yeah, I agree. Ellie had a decent summer league, better than people thought. I also think he might have some trade value because he's, you know, last year's draft, I think he was somebody people liked. But uh, let's move on. The people want Jalen McHugh thoughts. Let's start with Jalen McHugh here. I- I'll go ahead and start. Then we'll go to Evan and Brendan and, and David can finish this out on uh, on Jalen McHugh. Yep. I said, you know, when we first signed him that he's a lottery ticket. You know, I wouldn't start inking anything in permanent marker here. He's still a lottery ticket to an extent, but I think he showed a lot more than anyone really expected of him in terms of just his poise. That's what impressed me the most with him. Mm-hmm. I tweeted that I think he's more poised than most of the Suns' first-round picks have been over the past decade, and I really do believe that. I really can't believe somebody who's just 19 years old, 18 less than a month ago, I think, right? He turned... Uh, 19 last June. Yep. Uh, he had the presence of mind in that the end of the uh, end of the last game, where they were down by one with like six seconds left. He gets the ball, uh, you know, top of the break uh, at three and does not jack the three like almost 
any young player would do. Mm-hmm. Instead, passes it up wisely because he knows the guy's closing out on him. Gets to the rim. He's so athletic. He knows he's going to get fouled. I mean, this is the stuff Skip Bayless yells at LeBron for not doing at 30 years old. And, and Jalen like he was doing that already. It's, it's really amazing. And you put that together with the fact that he cares on defense. He takes charges. He has some court vision. Dave, you did a good job of breaking that out with some, with some video clips. I, I just think, even though he's still a lottery ticket, he showed enough to me that he knows how to play basketball that I think it's okay to be you know, somewhat like, really excited about him in, in a real way. Not in like, oh, you know, maybe someday. Max, if I told you he played 72 minutes at Summer League, how many turnovers would you guess that he had? Oh, man, that's a good question. I I don't think it was a ton, honestly. I would say, I mean, if you would just ask me that question before Summer League started, I probably would have said like 20. Yep. Uh, But I think it was probably five-ish. Four. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible for a player who just turned 19. Evan, what, what do you think? You called him the 2025 MVP. What are your What are Jay and Lequeux thoughts? Yeah, I think for me, it's just like you mentioned, Max, how poised he was, but also just how I think he knows his strengths and doesn't go away from that, which I find super impressed for a guy that's only 18, 19 years old. He he can drive and finish at the rim really well against NBA athletes right now. Obviously, it's Summer League, but going from Brewster Academy to Summer League is no joke in my opinion. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he averaged nine points, two assists, two to one assist turnover ratio, and also, he had a 58 true shooting percentage in Summer League. And Josh Jackson, mm-hmm. just to put it in perspective, Josh Jackson last year, his true shooting percentage was 32% in Summer League. So <laughs> that just goes to show just really the difference there between people who I think has a high basketball IQ and one who might not have one and really has low touch. And for LeCue, it's it just super intriguing now. Like you mentioned, he's a lottery ticket, Max. And if he can shoot the outside shot eventually, his mechanics need work. But he, he's a guy who could finish around the rim. He knows how to make the, pa- the extra pass if need be. He's not like a, a ball hog, so to say. I think there's actually a lot of equity here. If you put him in, in NAS for a year or two, he could be a guy who really pays dividends in like 21, 22. Brendan, what do you think? Are you going to throw cold water on us or are you on the train? No, uh, the self-awareness that Evan brought up was a big thing for me, you know, just to get the provide the perspective of the limited time that I was able to talk to him. He was uh, shockingly open and honest about the difficulty of making the decision that he just made of not only, you know, he's back at high school for a fifth season and then he's contemplating high, uh, college and, and then going to the NBA. And he was he was super uh, open about how it, that's not for everybody. And he knows that the odds are sort of against him. And he talked a lot about, you know, wanting to just prove that he belonged in the NBA and like had a game that was ready to go there to to make himself like make his decision kind of to prove prove it correct and and that was uh that was cool to hear because you know to give an example of a guy who was in a a strange situation and was not self-aware talking to Kevin Porter this this draft season like mm. that's a guy who had struggles and has nothing to tell you about them we'll <laughs> we'll give you no perspective about that so to see that and then also see it manifest on the court was awesome because he plays very smart basketball for somebody that's that young in my opinion and as Evan said kind of plays to his strengths like he doesn't have a jumper he took very few of them that's fine uh, but he the, the handle that he had combined with the athleticism he's going to be able to get to the rim in the G League right away I think so uh, that's a skill right you got to find the the few skills that make people be able to stick in the NBA and he has at least one and and we'll see kind of how he builds his game out the passing is looking pretty good too. David finishes off on the queue and then I think you have a couple uh, roster filling out thoughts before we get to did you know. Yeah I mean I can probably wrap it all into one here I've already touched on Spalding maybe being a 15th man on the regular season roster we spoke about uh, a couple of guys like Rice, uh, I'd throw Palmer in the mix, quite impressed me, I thought, as a shooter, quite athletic, and obviously Jared Harper um, had a pretty good summer league for the Suns too, and might be a guy that we see wind up in Naz, and that would be my first point on the queue. I think the coaching staff did a really great job of throwing him out there with Okobo and Harper for the most part, and protected him a little bit. Um, you know, not a great off-ball shooter, so you would think that that's a weird fit to put him off the ball with some of those more ball-dominant guys, but I think that's what we might actually see with the Naz Suns here eventually as well, and, and why I would advocate for a guy like Harper to be on the Naz Suns if no one else comes knocking for him, because I think easing him into it, and with that mentality that he has that a lot of you guys have already touched on, you know, quite poised, very self-aware and looking pretty mature for an almost new 19-year-old. So that stuff with LeCue is what really impressed me 
at Summer League, and I tried to identify a lot of that in the clips that I took out. You know, he shot 85% on free throws, Max, particularly those two clutch ones that won the Spurs game, which, you know, free throws can be a little bit dangerous to project form on those, but I just think, again, from a poise and mentality standpoint, I think that was a good thing to note. And the defense as well, really willing, you know, for a guy that athletic and that gifted, he's really willing to play defense and not just go out there and play on one side of the ball. Uh, Quite crafty, knows what he's supposed to do, jumping over screens, uh, knows what to do when people go under on screens on him on offense and, and has some pretty crafty moves to get back door off cuts and things as well. So just probably I went in thinking I was going to see this really raw 19 year old that doesn't really know how to play basketball and I've come out of it after four games almost thinking the opposite here Max like this guy no he's a basketballer like for how athletic he is he still gets the game and he's extremely smart and I think if they develop him right there's gonna be a real chance that this four-year contract is a huge win for James Jones in his first real offseason which we should touch on was reported incorrectly at first and they do have a team option on that fourth year which as a real geek nerdy thing max means that they can essentially decline that team option before the fourth year starts and make him a restricted free agent someone like uh Jokic I believe was in a similar scenario when he popped off and that's really important if these gambles really pay off because you can lock them back into a team-friendly long-term contract and not lose them for nothing as they're becoming a good NBA player, Max. This is going to be hilarious to listen back to if Jalen McHugh plays like three NBA games and washes out entirely. <laughs> <laughs> which is a chance. Which is a chance. We should say There's that. There's definitely still a chance. You have an undrafted player. It's still a low likelihood, but I think it's pretty clear we're all excited about him. Uh, Evan, Brendan, any more thoughts you guys have before we moved on to Did You Know? The answer he gave about draft night and what his experience was like, I think he had a chance to be drafted and picked the Suns. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I don't want to read him between the lines too much, but he was asked about, you know, just like what was the night like? Like you go in and you probably expected you'd have a decent chance to be drafted, especially with the hype leading in, and then you aren't. And what was that like? And he said basically, you know, it was it was a you know an up and down night. I wasn't sure what to think, and then you know quickly we realized we had a chance to come here, and that's what we chose. Or he said something like that, and so that's a good sign. I think that mm-hmm. that means that both parties were even more in it than we previously expected or thought, even though they did get it done right away. So that 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 inkling was already there in my mind. He kind of sewed it up for yeah, me. I think real quick, I just wanted to add in just. Cam Johnson and Ty Jerome not playing probably just threw all the spotlight on LeQ, but I wonder how different it would be if LeQ played as good as he did, even with Johnson and Jerome. I think, hmm. it, let's say if LeQ would have outplayed Ty Jerome, that wouldn't have been a good sign. So I'm just I'm just glad that LeQ played as well as it did, and I'm kind of glad they kind of went the route they did with holding out Johnson and Jerome. Because I think, I think James Jones mentioned this to the local media when Brennan was there, and I think he mentioned it, Zach Lowe did in a story this week, that they needed to really change those rules about the trade regulations and have those guys be really summer league be the first day where you can have those guys be integrated oh you're preaching to the choir here i i saw people uh criticizing the suns over this so much you gotta criticize the nba for this how do you not foresee this problem it's not it's not hard to figure out that summer league's gonna start during the moratorium how about just delay summer league like a week it's not that freaking hard uh, but we won't labor on that point. David, do you want to get into Did You Know? Sure. Well, guys, given we're doing a bit of a prelude here to your 500th episode today, I thought it was only right we went into all things Suns and 500 for Did You Know this week. Max, we are at episode 55 on 7 Seconds or Less. And did you know we will need to still be doing 7 Seconds or Less in about 10 years' time to ever reach 500 (laughs) episodes? So hopefully the Suns have made the playoffs again by then. Which brings me to my first quiz for you all. The Suns were obviously last over a 500 record in the infamous 13-14 season where Hornacek led the team to 48 wins and a 9 seed. But can you tell me how many of their 51 seasons in the NBA have been at or above 500? And also, for bonus points, give me one of the three seasons where they finished with a perfect 
balanced 500 season. Evan, let's start with you, then Brendan and Max to round us out. I don't know if this is too high of a number or not, but I'm going to go 37 for the first one. Mm -hmm. For the next one, I'm going to go with 2003. Wait, no, that's not, no, that... 2001 as far as 500. Okay, Brendan? I will go a little lower on the seasons over 500. I'll go 26, just one over half. And then I will guess that was right around the range that I was going to go. I'll just go like 1998 for 500. Max? I think Evan's pretty close on the over 500 seasons. The Suns have been pretty successful over time. I'll go 35 on that. And then in terms of the 500 season, I'll say... About like 1990. In true fashion here, Max, no one has got anything correct. (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) The answer is 31 of a Mm. possible 51 seasons, and the three seasons of 500 were the 83-84, when Walter Davis led the team to the Western Conference Finals, then 95-96, when Charles Barkley led the Suns scoring, but was bounced out in the first round, and then the 11-12 shortened season of 33 wins and 33 losses where Marcin Gortat led the team in scoring and the team missed the playoffs. But a quick aside from that season now, I threw out on Twitter this week and it got me in a bit of trouble, a prediction for Ricky Rubio's stats this season with Phoenix. In that 11-12 season, Steve Nash averaged 12.5 points and 10.7 assists. Are any of you game enough to say that Ricky Rubio will average higher in either points or assists for the Suns next season? I'll, I'll take the bait for the points. I'll go 13. Okay. Brendan? I can't I can't go over on either. I, I'm sorry. I'm going to say that he's going to average under the amount of blocks that happened when you tweeted that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to 500 now. I am not going there. So as mentioned in a past Did You Know segment, only one coach has reached 500 wins for the Suns, and that's John McLeod, and only one other has even coached 500 games, being Cotton Fitzsimmons. Max, Brennan, and Evan, did you know if Monty sees out his five-year term with the Suns, he will only be behind those two coaches in terms of Suns total games coached and basically only a sixth season away from hitting the 500 club. Now, guys, going back to back quizzes for you here, and then you are safe after that. First, only 11 guys have played over 500 games for the Suns. Starting again with Evan and ending with Max, can each of you name one of the 11 who have played over 500 games for the Phoenix Suns? Ooh, I feel like this is a cop-out answer, but Steve Nash. Okay, Brendan. Uh, Sean Marion. And Max for three for three here. You mentioned him earlier, Walter Davis. Alrighty, three for three. The full 11 in order for those playing at home is Alvin Adams, Walter Davis, as Max said, Steve Nash, as Evan said, Dick Van Arsdale, Kevin Johnson, Sean Marion, Brendan's guess, Alvin Scott, Dan Marley, Leandro Barbosa, Mark West, and Amari Stoudemire. And second and final question for you guys here. We'll go in reverse order this time with you starting, Max. Only eight guys have made 503 pointers for the Suns. Can you name one? Roger Bell. Correct. Brendan. Oof. Quentin Richardson. Ooh, incorrect. Yeah, okay. Evan. Channing Fry. Correct. They're mostly seven seconds or less players here, but again in order, the full eight are Steve Nash, Dan Marley, Leandro Barbosa, Sean Marion, Raja Bell, Channing Fry, Jared Dudley, and guys, Devin Booker. Ooh. But wait, Chris Hansen told me you can't make three points. <laughs> Back to the three main acquisitions this offseason, Max, and the number 500. Ricky Rubio has currently played 498 games in the NBA and will therefore hopefully crack the 500 early in the season. Dario Saric has made 381 three-pointers in his career to date, or just 119 more before he reaches 500. Believe it or not, he made 118 last season. And Frank Kaminsky had 452 assists in his pro career to date, with just 48 to reach the 500, which is significantly less than his career low for a season, which was last season being 63. But we started with 500 seasons for the Suns, guys, so I'll end with this before we jump into our last segment for the episode. 
the Suns have a 500 record or better against 23 of the other 29 teams currently in the NBA. Understandably, only the Spurs, Celtics, and Lakers are lopsided enough that a couple of good seasons won't quite fix the deficit. With three more losses than wins, though, the Bulls and Wizards head-to-heads are more than one season away. But the Pistons at 67 versus 68, Knicks tied at 64 apiece, and Jazz tied at 92 apiece, Rockets at 107-106, and Pelicans at 30-29 to 29 are all within reach next season. And on top of that, the Suns have to win at least one of two against the Nets and the Bucks to stay ahead of the 500 ledger in those head-to-head matchups. So Max, when it comes to 500, there's a lot on the line next season, and I believe we are now going to talk a little bit more about what the team can do to prepare themselves for that challenge and the challenge going forward. You didn't tell me there'd be math, David. Now my head hurts. <laughs> All right, let's get to this. This is going to be an extended seven seconds or less segment. Normally, we have one host ask three questions, which the other hosts and guests have seven seconds or less to answer and have not prepared. I'm going to do something kind of similar to that. We're going to do something more like seven minutes or less. I'm going to ask three more involved questions. That'll guide our discussion for the rest of the episode. Uh, because these are kind of tough questions, I'll give my answer first while the rest of you think up your answers, and we'll all spend a total of about seven minutes talking about it. Make sense? That's that's very nice of you. I thought you might try and get some retribution here, but you, you're playing playing nice. I, I try to help my friends here, David. I'm not a mean person like you. <laughs> all right. Question number one. If you could magically undo one of the major moves the Suns made this offseason and do something else at least somewhat realistic in its place, which one would you undo? I'll start with mine, then we'll go to Brendan, then Evan, then David. Mine's still the pick at number 11. I wish they would have taken Brandon Clark still. Yep. Uh, I think if you slot him in at power, uh, back at power forward, you have the athleticism issues fixed up to a large extent. Uh, he backs up Sarge perfectly. He makes sense to fill in for Sarge once he's gone. I think he makes more sense than Cam Johnson sort of with the threes on this roster already. Uh, the questionability to defend fours goes away because Brandon Clark does that. I think it's an awesome fit with Aiton. Uh, long term, so I just think that's that's kind of the one thing I'd undo. I'm largely happy about this offseason, like most of us are, but that is the thing I would undo. Brendan, you've had your time to think. What do you think? I'm going back to the draft as well, and uh, not to potentially steal David's answer, but I would just not have traded back, and knowing how the draft order unfolded, I would have taken Jarrett Culver. I think he doesn't quite hand-in-glove fit even as well as Clark, I can admit that, but uh, would have really given them a different type of flexibility by probably changing the way they approach the Ricky Rubio and point guard as a whole, the signing that they did there. And the summer would have looked very different, but I just think Culver is a, a very good prospect, a very good player, and a very good fit in Phoenix. So that would be the one for me. I know a lot changes there, but that would have been the, the one move if I could make one. Evan, what do you think? I think for me, this is picking nits a little bit because he's only a player on 15 minutes per game. But Frank Kaminsky, I would have gone a different route outside of him, I, even though James Jones obviously is valuing perimeter shooting over this offseason. But a Jermichael Green, or I don't know if he would have taken the extra money or not, but Jermichael Green, Noah Vonley especially, I think those two guys are easily would have been better fits with the Suns need athleticism, more rebounding. I think either of those guys would have been a lot better fits for a backup power forward role than Kaminsky. All right, David. Max, I would have taken $60 million and given it to Terry Rozier instead of Ricky Rubio. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, a masochist? <laughs> I'm going to steal pretty much both the answers, and Brendan kind of alluded to it here. I would not make the 6 for 11 and Sarich move. Uh, I would take my boy... Jarrett Culver, and I think the way we saw free agency um, pan out, I think Aminu or Jermichael Green or Noah Vonley could have filled that spot that Dario Saric ended up taking. However, I will give the caveat, because I've given a lot of credit to James Jones not going the McD route and just getting stuff done um, and not knowing everything that you know, is going to play out in hindsight. And I I wouldn't kill him too much for that move because I think overall it was a good move. It's just that Jarrett Culver was sitting there at six max. I thought for sure you were going to keep Igor. I thought for sure that's where you were going. Oh, that didn't even cross my mind. I should have. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) You're very much right. But I won't go back on my word. All right. Let's go to question number two. The Suns are at the next trade deadline. So we're in February 2020. Let's say they've exceeded expectations to a large extent. 
and are looking at a possible playoff run. Kind of similar to where the Kings were on the outside looking in, but they've got a chance. Let's assume the roster looks mostly the same. Uh, largely, the role players have just played well. Booker, Aiton, Mikel, and Oubre have taken leaps and carrying the show, so everything's going great. We're at the trade deadline. We want to make this move. What's the key thing we're looking for at this point? What's the one thing you're looking for? It doesn't have to be a particular player, but kind of like the skill set or the role or whatever you think the Suns would need in this scenario to jump to the next level. So I'll start with me, and then I'll go to Evan. We'll go to David, and then Brendan can finish up. For me, I think it'd be like explosive scoring. The thing I like the most about the D'Lo idea with Booker, I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I like the idea of him and Booker just kind of blowing up for stretches and really just you know taking over uh, for for you know a half of a quarter and just piling on points. Really like that feature. I don't think the Suns have it right now. I mean, Aiton and, and Ubre are, are decent scorers, but they're not the kind of guys who just go on fire the way Booker can do it. You know, a Lou Williams type would be perfect. I don't think he'd be available, but that's the kind of guy I'd be looking for, I think, in this scenario. Yeah. Uh, Evan, what do you think? I think this might be going really bold here, but if I can tamper through bag channels here and make sure he's not traded in the next few months, Bradley Beal, are you available? Because mm. I would love to get you and Devin Booker together. And I think they they have the package, guys. I think they have the expiring contract. They have the young player. Or not the young player. I mean, they could if they want to include Cam Johnson, but they have... Tyler Johnson, 19 million expiring contract. They could throw Dario Sarge in there. He's a, a quality piece for the Warriors, I think. Maybe you can fix to Ruachimura, who knows. But Elia Kobo as well. You can throw in a, another future, one or two future first round picks. I think there's going to be a lot of competition for Bradley Beal, but if we're going fantasy land here and you want explosive scoring like D'Angelo Russell Max, like you mentioned there, I think you get that on steroids with a Beal Booker backcourt. I love it. I didn't put a realism cap on this, so that totally works. David, what do you think? <laughs> well, if there's no realism cap, Max, I'm going to go with uh, looking for a star power forward for this team. I think if Aiton and Booker really make a leap and you know the timeline, so to speak, gets uh, fast-forwarded a little bit and you're looking to make the playoffs, I'd be watching how Kevin Love mm. has played for the Cavs, whether he looks fit and healthy and I'm really into the idea of reuniting Ricky Rubio and Kevin Love. And as we mentioned uh, on the Locked On episode of this two-part series, the Suns finally have pieces, and Evan alluded to it there, where they could actually pull a trade off like that if they wanted to. Brendan, finish it off. It is the same direction that David was heading. I think they will need a, a two, another two-way big, another two-way for um, we've seen the other teams with this type of big man that Aiton hopes to be, uh, prioritize that spot. Minnesota did it with a couple of young guys. The Denver did it re-signing Millsap and getting Jeremy Grant. Even the Sixers went out and got all Al Horford. I think the Suns need their version of those types of guys. Who is the long-term partner? Uh, Aaron Gordon's a guy we talk about a ton on our show just because his contract is so tradable and the Magic, yep. I'm not sure what their direction is, but I don't. I'm not positive it includes Aaron Gordon. So that's one name, but a player like that that can really grow alongside Aiton and is a, a beautiful fit, which I think Gordon is. Yeah, that's a good answer. Uh, all right, question three, and this is, I'm kind of cheating here. This is going to be a two-parter. Uh, this is a twist on a question I asked on Twitter a few weeks ago. First part, putting aside Booker, Aiton, Mikel, Oubre, and Rubio, which player on this Suns roster would you protect in an expansion draft where you could only protect six total guys. So we'll start with me, go to David, Brendan, then Evan. As tempted as I am to overreact and say Jalen LeCue, uh, <laughs> for me, it's Ty Jerome. I just love Ty Jerome. I think his skill set is exactly what I want on this team going forward. A smart player, can shoot. I just, I just think I, I almost don't even see him as a long-term point guard. I see him as like a long-term combo guard sort of thing, almost like an Andre Miller sort of thing who stuck around in the league forever. I just I really like his skill set. I think Cam Johnson, in, in my opinion, I hope he proves me wrong, is a little more of a one-trick pony. I, I think we get more out of Ty Jerome. I even see him maybe being okay on defense despite the athleticism. So that's my answer. David, where are you going with this? You're not giving me a lot of options to choose from here. And no. I am tempted to go LeCue, as you said, mm. but I'd go Cam Johnson. If I'm making that decision right here, right now, You know where you've picked him with the asset that you've used, and I suppose... Uh, what you expect him to be in the NBA for picking him at that pick number 11. I think he can be at his peak a really, really valuable 
piece for this team on a cheap contract. So I'd go Cam Johnson. You'd be projecting that he comes in not only as a knockdown shooter, uh, but is a good team defender, as we've discussed, and maybe takes his game to a, another level in the NBA and can attack closeouts, make the right pass, uh, just be another glue guy, I suppose, like Mikael Bridges. So I'd go Cam Johnson, Max. Brendan? Drum rolls don't sound good on podcasts, but I would ask I would ask you for one if I could. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> can I say Nico Mannion? <laughs> hey. I, I'm just kidding. I, I would. I, I was just trying to come up with something different. I would probably say... I like it. I would probably say Jerome, to be honest with you, too. Uh, I'm actually a little bit higher on his upside than Johnson. So just for that reason, I would I would go Jerome. With Max on that one, and also Mike Schmitz, I believe, from during the week, said he was one of their best, or one of the best picks in the draft for him. So you've got some smart friends there in Max and Mike, at least from my perspective. So uh, good pick there. How about you, Evan? Yeah, I'm joining your side of the fence, Dave. I'm going with Cam Johnson here. I think just with how valuable wings are nowadays, and I think Jones mentioned in his press conference, or Johnson could play two through four, which I find really intriguing. He can run around screens a lot as a two. He could play stretch four. So that versatility they provide, if he's a plus defender, or at least an average one, I think he's going to be a really valuable piece long-term to the team. So I'll go Cam Johnson because, I mean, you're six foot nine. If you shoot 40% from three, that's a really valuable piece. Evan, you just let another team steal 2025 MVP Jalen in the queue. You realize that, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's part two. Uh, and this is just getting weird. This is how we close podcasts with weird questions. Uh, this, it, so starts the same, putting aside Booker, Aiton, Mikel, Ubre, and Rubio. Uh, but this time, you can take any skill or trait you want from any of the other players and then give it to a different one of the other players. And then you must rank that mutant among Booker, Aiton, Mikel, Ubre, and Rubio in terms of who you'd protect. And uh, I'll start. And David, you have to go first after me because uh, I just want to be mean to you. Um, my answer is that I would give all of Jalen Lequeux's athleticism to Jai Jerome and call it a fucking day. Cause that, and that player would be second behind Booker for me, above Aiton. Yes, I'm sorry, above Aiton. Uh, you put Tiger Roman's basketball IQ with uh, Jalen McHugh's athleticism, and uh, yeah, that's a player, I think. David, what do you think? Yeah, you're pretty much spot on there. That would have been my first guess, so I'll go in a slightly different direction, and I'll give all of Jalen McHugh's athleticism to Cam Johnson mm. uh, for very similar reasons. If Cam Johnson uh, had his athleticism, I think, quote, that Evan just mentioned from James Jones playing the two through the four would be a much more realistic opportunity for Cam Johnson, whereas a few of us scoffed at that idea from James Jones, although I appreciate the positivity and projecting him forward like that. So that would be my guess to what is a very weird question, Max. Hold on, uh, you, you skipped part of it. You have to rank that mutant player among Booker 8 and Mikhail Oubre He would jump Mikhail for me, who's always been number three. So that player would be... In the same tier as DeAndre Ayton. That's safer than what I said. All right, Brennan, what do you got? I'm going to flip it, and I'm going to give Ty Jerome's intelligence to Jalen LeCue. Mm. Does that work? That works. Yeah. I think uh, I think if if – I mean, I would like to take the shooting as well, but we're only allowed to do one skill here for our mutant basketball player. So <laughs> uh, I think – but I think if LeCue can play at, at the kind of 30,000-foot level that Jerome kind of operates on – uh, that would be a very fun player. You don't see the combination of athleticism and smarts on the court very often. Just ask Gerald Green. Um, but I think <laughs> like that that would be incredibly fun to watch. All right, Evan, close that. I, I think for me, I'm going to go different. Just not a rookie here. I'm going to go Mikhail Bridges and give him Jalen Lequeux's athleticism. Ooh. A very, very fun player. And if he gets his shooting stroke back from Villanova, I think that's a guy who could be a 20-plus point-per-game scorer and a lockdown NBA defender for sure. Damn, son. I think Evan just created Kawhi Leonard. I think he beat us all on this. <laughs> well, he, I think he did cheat a little bit, but we'll allow him as a guest on the episode. No, to, oh, yeah, to it's true. That. I forgot. It wasn't bench player necessarily. But I'll, was, I'll throw a fine. bonus question at Evan yeah. for that because he cheated. We'll, we'll put him on the spot a little bit where do you rank Mikhail now in that core Evan and where does that player re-rank I suspect as a mutant on this team uh, above Aiden for sure I put I put him solid number two and I think he'd be yep. if he's legitimately like a Kawhi Leonard type with athleticism push he might be one B yep yeah I think he's one in that scenario honestly uh Brendan did you did you rank your guy 
I didn't. Uh, I would put him probably just behind Bridges, so four. Okay. So I didn't create a very good player, I guess. If we're talking about one, one B and two and three, and I'm and I'm like barely getting to four. Or you just really love Aiton and Mikel, Brendan. You're a huge Suns fan. Sure. Here, I have one where I find intriguing. I I cheated here. I did Mikel, but if I wanted to stick to the the one player or a bench player, imagine Jalen Lequeu with Cam Johnson shooting straight. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Alrighty, that's all we got here. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Evan, Brendan. I, instead of promoting a random thing, I'm going to ask you guys just real quickly, describe what you're going to do with the Forbes uh, the Forbes gigs. I'm excited to hear about it. Evan, we'll start with you. Yeah, for me, my first piece is coming out this weekend. It's going to be on Dario Sarge. I'm really excited. I'm diving more into Sarge in the past few days. But I'm going to really be doing the exact thing I'm doing at Brightside of the Sun right now, just diving in more, just doing more probably analysis pieces, more in-depth pieces probably over on Forbes than I do on Brightside of the Sun. But it's not going to interfere with anything with the podcast or Brideside, but I'm really excited about Forbes, though, especially. It's a big, big platform. Bern and I are really excited about that, and I think, really, I'm surprised that they haven't really dipped their toes in this area, but I think a lot of fans are going to really enjoy the content Bern and I bring over on Forbes. Yeah, it's it's an awesome opportunity. I'm going to be doing a little bit of WNBA coverage, uh, covering the Mercury games out here, and then uh, when when the time comes, some NBA draft stuff for them. So we'll see. It's, it's nice that they give us that freedom to kind of do what we want, and uh, the fact that Evan and I have one now, one more now, a total of three places that we both uh, collaborate, it makes it even easier. So we uh, we're both very excited. That's awesome. We're excited for you guys, and we thank you so much for coming on. Uh, for the listeners, thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe, and go listen to part one of us on the Locked On podcast, and also rate, review, and subscribe them. They're awesome. They are multiple times a week. You get way more content than you get here, David. Thanks so much. This was fun. This was really fun, and, and no one works harder than these two guys, Max, so I'm glad we could nope. put this together. And I guess to touch on what you just did, if you're a regular seven seconds or less listener, go check out part one if you haven't already. And if you were a locked-on listener and listening to us for the first time, thanks very much for tuning in, uh, and I hope you guys stick around. And as Max said, new and old listeners, go rate and review both sides of this podcast because it helps all of us out greatly, Max. But thank you, Brendan and Evan. These two pods were a lot of fun. Also, please please tweet us your mutants. I want to hear your mutants. <laughs> tweet them at us. Yes, yes, please. <laughs> all right, thanks, everybody.